Wow, 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 wow. Man, I love the energy. I love the energy in the room when you start hugging each other and, and uh, showing the love of Christ to those who are new, especially among us. So welcome. Some of you, perhaps this is your first week here. You've never been to Seacoast. My name is Pastor Dale, along with Pastor Ryan. We kind of do a teaching team here, and it's great to have you as our guest. I would love nothing more than to meet you out in the plaza afterwards uh, just to learn your name and just to be available to get to know you and uh, maybe even buy you a cup of coffee somewhere here in the area at your favorite coffee shop. So welcome to Seacoast. Get to know some of our folks. I think you'll be encouraged. One of our passions here is the fact that we believe that God is not silent. Isn't it cool to have a God who actually has revealed himself? So open the Bible. That's where it's found. Psalm 103 will wrap up our series from the Psalms. Our series has been entitled, God Is. And today we're going to see a great psalm written by King David that expresses uh, the richness of especially this thing called grace. Grace. So welcome. Pray with me. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, what a joy to be here at Seacoast today. What a joy for me after being gone for a couple of weeks on vacation to get back and to be with friends and to be in your word and to worship you. Thank you for the team. Thank you for the band. Thank you for our announcements. Thank you for hugging Sanitas. Thank you for the chance we have now to learn from you and to learn about you. From a man that uh, had a lot of ups and downs, he made mistakes, big sins, little sins. But let us learn from your revelation through David this morning. So we ask you to teach us. We thank you for your word. And uh, we listen to it today. In Christ's name. Amen. Becky and I have had the joy of raising three great kids who are all married. And we often like to tell people we're thankful to God for his grace. It's not about us being perfect parents. All of you know that that was never the case, and Becky and I know that, so I want to have full disclosure there. But we have three kids who have grown up, and at the end of growing up, they're now all in their, I used to say late 20s, early 30s, and my youngest one just crossed into, into that 30 mark, which makes me feel older, makes her just feel, well, I'm not sure. But all three kids grew up, and they loved God. They still love the church, and they at least like us. And to me, that's about as good as it gets. We can disagree with our kids on all the other small stuff, but if they love Jesus, they love his church, and they like us and still love us as parents, that's rare. It's not. It's a, it's, it's a gift. But my kids were very, very normal kids, still are, growing up. One of the things that I'll never forget is a day in which uh, it, was an a, it was an average morning, and I need to tell you first, it was not Father's Day. And one of my kids came into the room, and in fact, over the years, I can remember all three of them doing this on different times. See if you can relate to this story. If you have been a parent, you'll understand, or if you've been a kid, you'll understand. Anybody in the room, never been a parent, never been a kid, raise your hand. Okay, so all of us can relate. See if you know where this story is going. My coffee cup was getting kind of low, and it was about time for me to get out of my chair and go get a second cup of coffee. And all of a sudden, my daughter comes up, and she says, Dad, let me get your coffee. She goes and fills my coffee mug. 
says, Dad, can I get you anything else? He says, well, uh, no, not, not right now, sweetie, but thanks for offering. I, I just, wow. Uh, well, I just want you to know, Dad, I love you. I'm thinking, I love you too. She said, you know, Dad, I kind of wrote you a card, and it just tells you how much I love you. I said, wow, that's really sweet. I'll, I'll, I'll look forward to reading that. And, and Dad, is there anything else you need? I mean, I'm just here to serve you, whatever, whatever you need. I said, you know, honey, now what, do you, what do you think? Where, where's my mind going at this point in the story? Yeah, does everybody in the room agree where my mind's going? Does everybody in the room agree where I think my daughter's mind is going? Because I'm convinced that the next word out of her mouth is going to be, Oh, by the way, Dad, um, just wanted to ask, could I have a little coin, you know? Can I have a 20? Can I have a, you know, can I have a little money? Dad, I need this. Or, Dad, I've got a chance to go here. Or, Dad, my friends want me to go to Disneyland. Can I go tomorrow? And, Dad, can I skip school tomorrow because i got other more important things to do? Uh, whatever. Whatever it is, I'm expecting the ask. And I can count on one hand, probably, the times in which I got surprised. Because there was no ask. Zero. They just wanted to say, hey dad, love you. And to tell me why. Now I've got to confess, I struggle to remember a time when I did that with my parents without an ask. Unless maybe it was Father's Day, Mother's Day, it's the one day of the year you kind of got to give it without the ask. The Psalms are written as poems to God, songs to God, worship expressions to God. And King David wrote a bunch of them, and this is one of his. But what I'm about to show you in a minute is that this Psalm stands out from the average Psalm because the average Psalm goes something like this. God, you are incredible. Bless your holy name. And then it says, and God, I appreciate this and this and this about you. And then it usually says, and God, here are my problems. Here are my enemies. Would you take care of them? Would you bless me? Would you, would you enrich my life in this way? And, and, and God, well, no matter what you do, hopefully I, I trust you. That's the typical flow of a psalm. There's almost always some praise to God, and there's almost always in the psalm an ask. And by the way, that's okay because our Heavenly Father is a loving Father, and it's okay to ask God for things. So don't misunderstand where I'm going, because it is okay to ask God for things, but today's psalm is that rare exception. Today's psalm is like that story I told about my daughter when she just came in and climbed up on my lap and just said, Dad, I just want to give you a hug and tell you I love you. With no ask. Today's psalm is about the importance of building into our lives the ability to simply bless God without even asking Him to bless us back. You know, so often, especially in times of crisis in our country, a very popular bumper sticker that gets sold and put on cars after something like 9-11 is often, God bless, can you say it? America. I always wanted 
to market a bumper sticker. Steve, maybe you can do this for me, but I want half your profits. 40%. You got a deal. You got a deal. There's always an entrepreneur in the room ready to bargain. And that is America, bless God. You ever think about that? Because what we're going to see today is David not asking for any blessing, but just giving it. And what we're going to learn is that that is actually the secret to really being able to walk with God through life is sometimes not even needing to ask for anything. So what kind of a God led David to do that? Let's go. Let's go into the Word and we're going to see it together and see how it applies in our lives in everyday situations. Psalm 103. I've always provided an outline. Today we've got a lot to cover, so I gave you an outline. It'll help you. Sometimes you learn a little more if you take a few notes, but that's your choice, all right? On the back side is a daily response to the sermon that will help you revisit it five more times and uh, go deeper on some of these concepts. So if those tools help you, use them. But listen to the Word of God. It begins this way with what I call in your outline the call. And the call is simply this, to bless the Lord and not forget why you should do that. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. David talks to himself. He's talking to his own soul here. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits. He begins to be this two verses to kind of set the theme for the rest of the psalm through this little statement, bless the Lord and do not forget. This idea of the danger of forgetting the benefits of and the blessings of God in our lives is huge. David knew that. David knew at times he had forgotten all that God had done for him. And, and, and in the midst of forgetting that, he tended to go in the wrong direction. And he saw that in the history of Israel over and over again. In fact, this concept of remembering the benefits that God has provided for our lives and not forgetting those benefits is a common theme in Scripture. In Deuteronomy, for example, Moses 14 times commands that the people do not forget or the flip side of it is make sure you remember who your God is and what He has done for you. He says 14 times, remember, remember, remember. He says nine times, do not forget, do not forget. So it's a major theme here. So what David is doing now, he says, wow, I just want to bless God, oh my soul, from with everything within me. I want to just not forget, but remember all the benefits of my God and who He is. And then he moves into this letter of blessing to his God. And, and the psalm breaks down next into two big sections. Verses 3 through 5 is a very quick focus on, on blessing this God. I call it the God of grace because you're going to see grace kind of hop to the top as the major attribute that motivates David's blessing of God. Is, is he's, he's fascinated with the grace of God. So what he does in verse 3 through 5, he describes who this God is, what he's like. He describes God, and then in verses 6 through 18, he looks at the history of Israel, and he thinks back over God's treatment of them, and he says, wow, God really lived out what he says he is. So we're going to see who is this God described, and then how does God display this character of God in the life of David and of Israel? And then finally, he's going to call us to, all right, so if you really want to know how to super bless God, here are some tips for doing that, okay? So let's look first at the God that David is fascinated by. 
Our God, His grace described. Listen to these three verses. I'll read the verses and then we'll bring up kind of a summary and talk about them. He says, oh, forget none of His benefits. This God who pardons all our iniquities, who heals all our diseases. Underline the word all. You're going to see it nine times in this psalm. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. We could talk about just verses 3-5 through all day. But I don't have that much time. So let me give it to you and break it down. Number one, he says this God pardons all your iniquities. Emphasis there is the word all. It's okay to have a God who pardons sin, but this God doesn't just pardon sin. He pardons all of our sin, all of our iniquities. This Hebrew word for iniquity is a, is a word that's a little different. There's different words used for sin in the Old Testament. Um, trespasses and sins and transgressions. This word emphasizes what one uh, scholar says is, is the twisted, distorted nature of sinful actions. That when we sin, we take what is good and healthy and good and we twist it and distort it in our lives. And sin is like that. And he says, even when we twist and distort God's will in our lives and we sin, he says God pardons or forgives all of our iniquities. Now, when I think of that, I think how uncommon is that? Now, we know how God does this. Because God is just and he knows that sin needs to be punished. But we know the rest of the story. And the psalmist will talk in a minute about the grace of God. The rest of the story, for those of us that know it, right, in the New Testament, is that God knew that in order for him to forgive and pardon all their sin, he couldn't just blow it off. He needed to blow it up. He needed to get rid of it. And that's why Jesus Christ would come from heaven. God himself, the sinless one, would step down to earth, live a sinless life, go to the cross, die for the sins of humanity, so that all of our sin could be forgiven. So that God, in His grace, could offer total forgiveness to those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. Or as it says in here, in this psalm later, those who fear and respect the Lord. Those who enter this relationship of trust in God by faith. He forgives all our sin. How uncommon is that? See, I, I want to forgive the people I love. But have you ever either said or thought this. You know something? I'm willing to forgive you this time. What's implied? But just don't go there again. My patience runs out. You know. So don't, don't come back asking me again to forgive the same thing. I mean, that's human nature, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's our mode of operating. That's how we operate in the world. The whole world functions with a lack of grace environment the whole world functions this way if you mess up too many times you lose your job you're kicked out of school or in some cases sadly enough you're kicked out of your home even so we 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 nowhere in life do we experience a god who in a in a very unnatural supernatural inhuman way would be different from us and would say he will pardon all of our sin he forgives us completely the second all he heals all our diseases verse 3 he heals all of our diseases that god can heal and does heal at times all of our diseases he can raise the dead he can heal any disease now some of you if you read this my first reaction is oh i got i got a problem here you know because i remember praying for this to be healed and it wasn't 
I know cases where God does not heal all our diseases, at least not right now. So when you study the psalm like this, you have to understand that the psalmist is declaring that God is the God who heals all diseases. But yet when we, when we read the rest of the story, both in Scripture and in the New Testament, the Old Testament and New Testament, we learn that the ultimate healing of disease and the conquering of death is not now but later. The Scriptures clearly tell us, Romans chapter 8, write it down. Romans chapter 8, read verses 18 to 23, if you want to read it this week. In fact, if you do the daily encounters, I'll take you there. Because in that passage, Romans says that it it praises God for for all the blessings of His grace, the forgiveness of our sins, the the security that we have in, in Christ to be forgiven and secure. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 1. But then he says a little later in the chapter, he says, but all of creation and our bodies groan as we await the redemption of our bodies. And that's because our bodies... They will be redeemed by Christ. They will be resurrected someday. We will have eternal bodies that will be free of disease and sin and death and illness no more. So God ultimately will heal us, but sometimes He does do it now. Other times He does it later. But the reality is He is the healer of all disease. He will blow it away when the time is right. But for now, often we still suffer and groan because of the stresses and the problems that we live with. I remember it was a, I, I, I deal with this even this past two weeks when Becky and I were out of town. Uh, the first message that we got was from a dear friend, Jeff Dotson, Jeff's wife, Bonnie, a dear friend of ours. Jeff was my very first worship leader, worship pastor at a church that I pastored up on the central coast of California. And... Um, Jeff, uh, uh, whenever he was working and serving with me, Becky and I were on vacation, actually staying right down here in San Diego with our kids. And I remember this. I remember the day I got the phone call that Jeff had had a heart attack. Jeff was 33 years old and had a major heart attack. He survived the heart attack, but he learned through that that he had been living with a genetic problem. Uh, you know, that he had been carrying around in his body from birth of a def- of, a, of a defective heart and. And Jeff uh, lived uh, on about a third of his heart capacity for many, many years and served Christ. And, but then we got the word that he, uh, his heart was failing and, and uh, he could not get a transplant. And uh, they tried an artificial heart and implanted an artificial heart in Jeff just a couple weeks ago. And then the problems began to build. So we prayed. They prayed. Thousands of people know this guy. And they prayed for God to heal Jeff and to strengthen him. And, and it got worse. And I won't give you the rest of the story except that uh, next Saturday or next Sunday, next weekend will be Jeff's memorial service. Jeff is now in heaven. He is healed today with a new perfect heart. He is healthy He is making music, which he loves to do for Jesus Christ, probably jamming with some of his old friends. He loved jazz. But Jeff leaves behind Vonnie and his kids and people that know and love this guy who hurt. So what David is remembering, though, because David had been through disappointments. David had prayed. David had a baby that died. Remember that story? And David prayed and prayed that God would heal and that his baby would live. And David lost a child. 
David knew the pain of praying for healing that doesn't happen, but he also knew the promise that we have a God who pardons all of our iniquities, heals all of our diseases, and someday will eliminate disease from the planet completely forever and ever. Thirdly, he doesn't just forgive and heal, he redeems our lives from the pit. This phrase from the pit can mean a couple things. In the Hebrew mindset, often the pit was a symbol of uh, Sheol or the place of the dead. So he may be saying he redeems or sets us free uh, uh, from death itself, that is, eternal life. Also, it was often a symbol of slavery because slaves were thrown into pits at times and auctioned off. We see that in the story of Joseph, for example. When Joseph was uh, betrayed by his brothers, he wanted to sell him into slavery. They threw him in a pit and, and sold him, and he was purchased or bought out of the pit by some slave traders and taken down to Egypt. But the bottom line is the symbol is this, redemption from the pit. The concept of redemption is the concept that someone pays the price to purchase your freedom. And we see that. We see that taught about Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross, paid the price for our sin, and one of the things is we're not just forgiven, but what's Romans 6 teach? Romans chapter 6, and you'll read it in the daily encounters, so do that, please. But Romans 6 talks about how in Christ we have freedom, that sin is no longer our master, but we are set free. We're set free to become and to grow into the people God wants us to be. But that freedom comes through our God as a gift by His grace. We are set free. He pardons, He heals, He redeems. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy or compassion. When you see this word loving kindness, most often it is the Hebrew word hesed, which is the most common Hebrew word that's closest to this thing in the New Testament that we call grace. It's the unconditional love of God. So he says he crowns us. Now, so now he's giving us an inheritance. He's giving us riches. He crowns us in Jesus Christ with the riches of grace and compassion. He crowns us. Number five, I love this phrase. In verse 5, look at it. He who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed as the eagle. He satisfies your years. You know, this is a fascinating statement because this word years is, is a very uncommon word. I, I don't like to give you a lot of Hebrew detail, but it'll help bring this alive, I think. Because when he says he satisfies your years, if you have a King James Version, an old King James Version, it'll be translated, he satisfies your Anybody have one? Your, your life or your mouth? Uh, your, you know, he satisfies your life. He satisfies your mouth. If you have the NIV, some of you have the NIV translation, uh, you, you'll see he satisfies your desires. And, and, and so here's what he's saying. It's a Hebrew word that connects those two concepts. What he's saying is um, he satisfies the deepest hungers and thirst and desires of your heart. He's, he meets what he, he can satisfy. He can satisfy any need. I love that, that. That image of God, that this satisfaction in life can be rooted in Him. You know, one of the things that gets me in trouble is whenever I begin to think, you know, God, I'm not satisfied. I need this or that to be more satisfied. I become discontent with my life or 
or the, 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 the fact that God doesn't deliver what I need or, or I don't get what I want. And, you know, because this thing called wants and desires can just spin out of control in our culture. I mean, for example, even while on a crazy vacation where I'm enjoying being with my wife at this resort, you know, all of a sudden I began to feel frustrated because their internet service was too slow. You know, I mean, you know, so I cry out to God, God, what's up with this? Why would you place me in the pit of slow internet service? You know, I'm trying to stream some update football clips on my Mountaineers and, and I can't even watch preseason practice. You know, God, what is up with this? Now, you know, I'm obviously I'm being a little facetious. Kind of. Because don't we do this? Or we look at life, we say, you know, God, yeah, I have this, but I want that. Because there's always something new and better and newer and faster that we want. You know, I look at my watch and it's a Timex. You know, a high-tech, I mean, it even still has the little hands that move like this, you know. You know, and I'm with someone the other day and, and I noticed their watch. I felt sorry for them. Their watch was just a black screen. It appeared to be broken. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden they flipped the little black screen over and it, whoa, it woke up and it had pictures on it and it told them they had an email or a, or a message and all that stuff. And, and I said, wow, what's going on? And they turned it, what, what do you mean? And it went black again. I thought, you got a bum watch. you got a defective black watch from Apple. Yeah, it was a new Apple watch. You know, I thought, oh, God, that looks fun. Yeah. yeah. Is that an Apple Watch? No? Okay. Looks like it, Bill. <laughs> Just trying to call you out there. There's nothing wrong with wanting an Apple Watch. There's nothing wrong with owning an Apple Watch. How many of you own Apple Watches? Can I see the hand? Oh, come on. Yeah, there's one. Good. You need an Apple Watch. You're Mr. Apple. That's right. So, yeah, um, but I'm not doing a commercial for watches. What I'm talking about is this. Whether it's our health, our home, our car, our children, our life, there's always something going on in life in which you say, you know, God, for me to be satisfied, you must do this. You must fix this. And sometimes it doesn't happen. For David, it was a loss of a baby. For David, it was enemies that wouldn't stop chasing him and trying to kill him. There were different problems that we have. But yet David, in this psalm, is just focused on the fact that, look, God, here's what I know about you. In you, I can be pardoned, healed, redeemed, crowned, and I can find satisfaction if I just trust you. I trust that you are sovereign, you are good, and I trust you. And again, that doesn't mean you don't ask God to heal or ask God to fix problems or ask God to bless with whatever it is you sense you need. But that sense of, wow, God, you satisfy me. See, in Jesus Christ, that's when life begins to get joyful. That's when it begins to really come alive. We find our satisfaction in Christ. And lastly, he says, and you renew me like the eagle. Your youth is renewed like the eagle. What he's talking about here is he's projecting because he says, you who satisfies my years or my desires through all of life with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagle. He's not talking about while he's young. He's talking about while he's old. He's saying, even as I age, you give me a youthful, renewed spirit. I can soar like the eagle. 
Now, why did he choose the eagle and not the hummingbird? Answer? Anybody know? What's the difference in an eagle and a hummingbird? In turn, they both they both fly. Really cool. What hummingbirds? What's the secret to their flying? Their flight? Yeah, could you illustrate this, Sheila? I thought that was a pretty good hummingbird illustration. Okay, I'm just picking on everybody this morning. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah, okay. You can do the sound effects even, right? Okay. Yeah. They man, it's speed. They 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 gotta keep flapping. Have you ever saw a hummingbird soar? No. And they are tired little creatures. And that's why they gotta live off sugar. Yeah. What do eagles do? Eagles are known, designed by God, to soar. And they just have a couple, a couple flaps, and then they're just aerodynamically designed to just ride the air currents, and they can go miles and miles and miles without even flapping their wings. And he says, God is like that. He says, God, your spirit, your strength, man, it helps me soar above, the, 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 above life, where I can have strength that is supernaturally founded in Jesus Christ and His Spirit within us and, and where I can soar above my problems through life. And you renew me. So this is such a rich, rich section that I chose to go slow on verses 3 through 5 because if you get nothing else out of the morning, I didn't want you to miss this. This is our God. Now, you know, sometimes I meet people that don't like Christianity and they say, well, you know, I, I disagree with Christianity because I don't like their view on this issue or that issue or this moral issue or this one, you know, or Christians are weird. And I agree, I say, but I'm not asking an opinion about Christians. I want to ask your opinion about the God of Christianity. And when I look at this and I look at Jesus Christ and how he made all this happen, I think, what better God could you invent? You want a God who pardons all sin and makes that possible for all of our sins to be forgiven, to be healed someday of all of our diseases, redeems and gives us freedom by purchasing, paying the price for our sins, giving us freedom, crowning us with grace, satisfying our years, and renewing us even when we're old like eagles. I like this God. This is your God. But then David, very quickly, in verses 6 through 18, I think he is imagining, yeah, but some of you may not feel like this is really God. Has God displayed what he's described? And, and he takes what was described about God in 3 through 5, and he shows how it was put on display. Let me show you how I know that. Verse 6 and 7 says this, The Lord performs righteous deeds, the judgments for all who are oppressed, he made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the sons of Israel. Notice the phrases. Performs deeds, passes judgments, makes known his, his ways and his actions. See, what he's saying now is the actions of God match the character of God. And he kind of walks through that. And this section I don't have time to teach in detail, but when you study it this week, here's what you learn. It says that God is compassionate, verse 7, uh, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger. And He's abounding in loving kindness. And He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. In other words, when God is angry, He's slow to anger first. God doesn't have a short fuse. Man, am I thankful for that. Because I would tick God off 
so often. I do tick him off so often as I disobey him. I'm stubborn. And when I do that, if God had a short fuse, it'd be, boom, Dale, you're gone. Man, I can replace you in a heartbeat. He'd go find somebody else. Seacoast doesn't need Dale. God doesn't do that. God is slow to anger. But he does get angry. When we sin against him, disobey him, ignore him, he has a righteous anger. Just like a parent. You know, at times, if you ever raise kids, do kids make you angry? And sometimes it's not sinful anger, it's justified anger. Because, you know, when, when, when you say one thing and do another, and you, know, you, you disobey, there's an there's appropriate emotion of anger. But God is slow to anger, and then even when he's angry, it says this, verse 10, even when he's angry, he doesn't keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor has he rewarded us according to our iniquities. Isn't that great? Verse 9 and 10. See, he doesn't treat me like I deserve to be treated. And I'm thankful for that. Some people say, I wish God was more fair. I'm thankful he's not fair. I'm thankful he's gracious. Grace is giving someone the opposite of what they deserve. When I deserve to be to be punished by God, God says, Dale, let me pardon your sins and redeem your life from the pit and heal your diseases and crown you with righteousness and loving kindness and you know, let me do all this good stuff for you, Dale. But yeah, sometimes God disciplines us. So what he shows us on this list is he doesn't deal with us according to our sins, but even if he disciplines us, he shows us mercy. He's full of mercy, full of grace, full of love, even when he applies painful discipline. The book of Hebrews talks about how if a parent loves their children, they will discipline them out of love, but not out of anger. See, So even when God is disciplining me or you, I know that he's doing it with a spirit of his love, not his anger. That's why when you, if you're a parent, Becky and I would often remind each other, whenever our kids disobey and make us angry, man, you've got to calm down before you discipline them. You need to kind of get away and pray, and then you need to make sure that they understand that you're not just reacting. You know, I've done that. Um, I, I was, I, I'm not telling you those stories. <laughs> But sure, I've reacted in anger, you know, yelling at my kids or, or disciplining them inappropriately, not abusively. Don't turn me in, okay? But yet, at times, I lost my cool. Any parent here never lose their cool? Yeah, we've all done it. But when God gets angry because of our sin, he's slow to anger, and even when he disciplines us, it's not according to our sins. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us more grace and mercy. So when you, when you look at that, through that section, he's compassionate. I'll kind of go back and review it real briefly, John. Let's do that. Number one was he's compassionate, which means he hurts with you and he wants to help you. That's what compassion means. He hurts with you and wants to help you, right? Secondly, he's gracious, which means he responds with unconditional love. Okay, I kind of went through this quickly. I just don't want you to miss this. He says when, he, when David looks back at the history of Israel, 
He sees God's compassion. He sees God's graciousness. It says he was slow to anger, which means he is patient with, a, with no short fuse. See, and God's that way toward us, and God was that way toward Israel. And, and, and so as, as, the, as the Israelites would read this psalm, they're thinking back on their own history, and they're saying, yeah, God has displayed what David has described. Number four, he abounds in loving kindness, which means he absolutely overflows with grace. He doesn't just have a, an occasional grace moment. It says he abounds with grace. Overflows with grace. I love that. Number five, and then he not doesn't deal with us according to our sins, even when he disciplines us. But then the last attribute is kind of a on display by God is I think the pinnacle of this psalm, and David slows down and gives it more verses, and that is this. Four. Why is all of this true? Verse eleven. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. So God's loving kindness, his chesed, his grace, is without limits. And he says it's without limits in the following verses in three ways. As far as the east is from the west, it's without limits. Like a father has compassion on his children, it's without limits. Verse 13. And then finally down in verse 17, he says, but the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to the children, his children's children. So those three phrases, I just wanted to pop them out. Because he says, how great is God's grace? Well, it's as far as the east is from the west. That's how far he puts our sins from us. Now, how far is east from west? If you start walking east, how far do you have to walk to arrive at the western horizon? Forever. So you can walk and walk and walk, and east never meets west. How far is east from west? It's infinitely separated. You can walk east or west, and you will never arrive at the horizon. You just keep walking forever. So that's what he's saying is that's how, that's how thorough God deals with our sin. He puts it as far as east is from the west. He treats us like a loving father. But then he says from everlasting to everlasting, his kindness and his love and his grace is there. That's from eternity past to eternity present. So from eternity past to eternity present, as far in time as you can reach, forward or backward, as far as the heavens are above the earth, up or down, as far as the east is from the west, you, you know, all of these metaphors are saying God's grace is without limit. Now, I like this God. Amen? If you were to ask someone who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, so what kind of God would you invent? My guess is most people would wish that God lined up with this psalm. But they've just never learned the story of Jesus Christ and the fact that when you look at Christianity, it's not about the oddities of us as Christians. Because, see, you know, we sometimes don't represent the faith very well. But it's about the supremacy and the awesomeness of who God really is. As Ryan's been teaching you the last two weeks about the different awesome character traits of God. And this psalm today kind of pulls a lot of that together. So what is our response? 
The response is given in verse 19 to 22. And I just want to end by pointing this out, that the response is this is where I expect him to say, so therefore, God, in light of all that you have done and in light of who you are, God, would you please do this for me? And it just doesn't. The ask doesn't come. Just like in the story of my daughter when she crawled up on my lap and just gave me a hug and gave me a card telling me I was awesome and it wasn't Father's Day and I was convinced she wanted something and she never asked. That's how God wants us to relate to Him. So what is the appropriate response? Verse 19, all the Lord has established his throne in the heavens. His sovereignty rules over all. I call that accepting God's will, accepting God's rule. Saying, so God, I'm okay with you being in charge. I'm okay letting you be in charge. And I acknowledge that's a good thing. Then he says, Bless the Lord, you His angels, mighty in strength, who perform His word, obeying the voice of His word. That's blessing God as you say, So therefore, God, I, I want to obey You. I want to follow Your word like the angels do. Verse 21, Bless the Lord, all you His hosts, who serve Him, doing His will. You bless the Lord by saying, Wow, what can I do for you? I don't care if you do anything for me. Just what can I do for you? And then he says, Bless the Lord, all these works of His in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless Him with all of your life. That's, a, that's my mistake. That's a typo. Bless the Lord with all of your life. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Don't forget what He's like. Don't forget all of His benefits. Don't forget all that, who He is and what He's done. Don't forget the fact that He has pardoned and redeemed and freed and healed. And in times of tough times when life isn't working the way you want it to, like my friend Jeff that I mentioned, you realize, you know, maybe God's timing in Jeff's life is different, but God has healed Jeff from his literally broken heart. A couple days ago, Becky and I got another email emergency message. Some of you in this church will remember Bob Craning, who came and preached and helped Seacoast out a few months before I came. Um, pray for Bob and his wife Carol and their family. Bob is unconscious, had a major heart attack a couple days ago. He's in the hospital. The doctors have basically said uh, probably the next 24 hours probably tell the story whether he's going to wake up. And if he wakes up, what will be the consequences? So be praying for Bob and Carol. I share that with you because I think you would want to know that. But also it, it fits this passage because it's in times like that in our lives that we are tempted to say, you know, God, I bless you, I bless you, I bless you because I want to ask you to deliver for me. So what's the challenge this week from this psalm? For me, it's this. Try to go 24 hours and don't 
ask God for anything. Just bless His holy name. Bless Him. Make a list of the things you love about God, that you appreciate about God, His faithfulness, His ways in which He's worked in your life, and just bless God without asking for any blessing. It's okay, eventually, to come back to asking Him. He's a loving Father. He likes to be asked. But let's learn from David the art of simply adoring our God and then saying, so in light of who you are, God, I'm yours. Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for the wisdom of your word, what it teaches us about you, reminds us of the abundance of the benefits and blessings that you uh, have been to us, that you continue to be daily to us. Help us, Father, be people who replace discontentment with faith and trust, who replace um, who replace the urgency of asking you for more with a sense of the urgency and the joy of remembering and not forgetting all that you have already given us. Help us to be more thankful, more joyful, more appreciative followers of our Lord Jesus. And then let that transform us in a way that uh, impacts the world around us. Father, even as we conclude now with a couple songs and as we give to you, I pray that our gifts are given in appreciation for your incredible, limitless grace. We give as an act of worship in Christ's name. Amen.